Hey, hi, my name is Scott Eastman. I'm the downtown pastor for Life Church in Green Bay. And my name is Becky Alcantar. I'm the author and co-founder of Journey to Wholeness, a program designed to help you feel equipped to face life's challenges. And that's the thing. And so this is the whole podcast. That's what you're listening to. And in the whole podcast, we just, I don't know, get together, look at each other, and then we talk about like how crazy our heads are, like, and our hearts and our spirit and how they're all tied together and how you can't just try to just make it through life and hope for the best that really there just takes some time to like figure some stuff out and so that's kind of what we've been talking about exactly on the whole podcast and in the process you realize how amazing our heads and hearts are and all of the ways god has designed us to heal and to live a whole and happy life yeah so if you're not living a whole life if you don't feel like you're living a whole life don't turn us off just keep listening for a second. That's right. Because we're pretty sure something in here is going to uh, resonate with you. And so I was thinking this week, Becky, about uh, the climate that we're currently in, mm-hmm. where um, it was funny because just the other day I posted, I don't remember what we were all fighting about before COVID. Sure. Right? Because I just feel like we're we're in this like era where we're just, we're always fighting about something. Sure. And not that there aren't things worth fighting about or Correct. fighting for. I'm not trying to dismiss that, but I just... There's so much antagonism. There's so much, like, people just want to fight, or they want to pick a fight, or they're looking for a fight, or they're looking for a way to be offended. Right. And I feel like there's, like all the other things we were talking about, there's like a deeper thing there, mm-hmm. this idea that we're looking for a way to be offended. Absolutely. And in in the same space where that can be discouraging and overwhelming and exhausting, that also gives me a lot of hope uh, and excitement because uh, it makes me think of this quote that I read. It said, we find comfort with those who agree with us and growth amongst those who don't. And so as long as people are having antagonism and conflict, there's an opportunity to grow, to get to that wholeness we were first talking about. And so offense is absolutely the issue that we're talking about here. We seem to get offended at every turn. We find something to be offended about, to get worked up about. And uh, true to Journey to Wholeness form, I have to start by looking at what do we mean by that term when we're looking at it, just so we know that we're talking about the same thing, because our perception and our definition and our backgrounds sometimes cause us to define things a little bit differently. So just so we're on the same page, offense is feeling insulted, annoyed, or resentment brought about by a perceived insult to or disregard for oneself or one's standards or principles. So the Latin root for offense means a striking against or a hurt. So uh, offense can really feel like something physical and I think we feel it in our bodies and in our emotions uh, which will cause an arise in our uh, hormones and we can physically feel an offense. So maybe you weren't hit but you feel like someone struck you. We say that someone um, blindsided me, right? Mm, Where it literally feels like you got punched in the gut and now you're trying to deal with what just occurred. And we don't always go to what's the source of this offense? Why do I feel offended right now? Why do I feel insulted? Why do I feel like I was struck? Uh, We react, right, in response. We need to defend ourselves because our first... um, Our first thought is, and it's not even a thought, our instinct is to survive. So if I feel like I'm being attacked, my instinct, I am designed to survive and to either run or respond. Or if it's too much for us, we also sometimes tend to freeze. Um, So we have to look at what was the root or what is the root cause of why we're having this conflict or feeling this offense. Yeah, I 
<clears throat> hearing you say that, um, it reminds me for the longest time, we've talked about this just about every episode so far, about mm -hmm. how like we have to stop just reacting to life and, and try to figure out where those things are coming from so we can respond intelligently or Correct. empathetically or whatever. And I was, I, just in these last couple years, it occurred to me that when something went wrong, I wasn't happy unless I could find someone to blame for that. Mm -hmm. Like if, if, even if it was something that I did, right? Like this happened. Well, what made that happen? What made me not be paying attention so that mm -hmm. happened? Or what, what was I angry about so that I wasn't paying attention so that happened? Like right. I just, I feel like we're, we're better when we can assign blame, mm -hmm. you know? And that, mm -hmm. that's, for me, that's part of the offense thing. Like we're just looking for someone to blame. And when we're living in that space where all we're doing is reacting and we're just blaming this and blaming that, like you can go on the social media right now and just see, you you watch people, you know people that are in your timeline, they're just like one thing after another. Yes. And it's just like, hey, at some point this drama thing is your problem. Mm -hmm. And if you're always looking for offense, if you're always looking for someone to blame, you're handicapped. Correct. So I think about that, I'm like, always, what is the root of that, right? So we're talking about trauma. We're talking about something happened and you are reacting to your world right now. It happens to all of us. All of us find and find offense at some point, justified or unjustified. That's not the question, but we all find offense. That's a normal emotion or response to something that seems unjust to us. And that's a good thing. What happens is if we don't have control over our emotions or we don't understand ourselves well enough, then we can be responding inappropriately in certain situations, right? So the wrong level of emotion and yeah, response. disproportionate. Disproportionate response. to what is actually happening. And so uh, one of the things that happens in trauma is that uh, we want to control our environment to protect ourselves from a similar trauma or occurrence happening again. And so when you talk about trying to find someone to blame, what you're trying to do is bring reason to a situation so that you can file and categorize it in your brain mm. so that you can prevent it from happening again. So there might be a small slight and inside of you, your brain is telling you, hey, this is that major event where you felt like you got sucker punched in the gut. So let's defend ourselves from that. But then you go into this processing state where your brain is trying to categorize that now. So what happened and how can I put reason to this? And so that can cause rigid thinking which is one of the things that is a source of offense. And uh, rigid thinking tells us that there's only one way to do something or say something, and that really comes from arrested development. We haven't processed, we aren't able to explore different avenues because we need our world to be controlled because we feel out of control. We feel uh, like we're susceptible or we feel like um, Harm can come our way, and so we need to try to control our environment a bit. And when you've been traumatized, you have this high sensitivity uh, to every situation. So in an extreme case, you would think of somebody who has PTSD, uh, post-traumatic syndrome, right? They're very sensitive to light and sound. Every noise, every bright light can cause them to remember or enter back into a memory in which they were in that situation. And it's really a survival method. It's to remind them, hey, this is what happened in a flash, but they're living in and experiencing in it. Now, we can experience that to a lesser degree. Um, the flip side of that is that we want to feel better about the world. So we can adopt beliefs. Um, that tell us that um, these things don't exist, 
right? So that's that freeze. So you might hear people sometimes saying, oh, that was a horrible thing, but I just don't think that way, right? So in terms of racism or injustice or different topics like that, I don't think that way. What they're really saying to you is, I can't process that. I can't believe that that exists in my world. So I'm going to just close it off. And I need to believe that my world cannot be that way because if my world is that way, that means that I can also be affected by that. Mm -hmm. That also means that I am not safe in my environment. If you're not safe and that can happen to you, I can't process that that could happen to me too because I don't know how to defend or protect or, or control my environment. And the only way that I can get through today is if I can control my environment. What happens then is that we try to implement or force that or push that on other people with our opinions. Safest place to do that is on social media, right? We can throw our opinions out there and then we can unfollow the responses if we want to and feel like we've controlled our environment. And in reality, we haven't. But what we've done is settled down our brain to tell it, I've done that. I've controlled our environment brain and we're safe in terms of our perspective in our world. Now that may not be true, right? And that's what we want to get to the root of. To live in that state always means to cut yourself off from relationship and interaction and growth. And to start to delve into that and explore that and consider that and look at there might not be just one way to answer this problem. There might be several. There might be several avenues for me to explore. That's growth. But that takes work because there's a lot of healing that has to happen. Uh, there's a lot of understanding of ourself that has to happen. And then we get into, you know, empathy and compassion for others. But if we can't do that for ourselves first, right? That's why the scripture says, uh, love God, love yourself, and love others as yourself. So it's a prerequisite. We can't love others if we don't first love ourselves. And mm -hmm. loving ourselves sometimes means taking the time and venturing into the places that are hard and difficult and hurt and are painful so that we can resolve that pain, right? If we left a wound to fester and to grow deeper and get infected, it's never going to heal on itself. There's some work that needs to be done to actually root out that infection and then allow it to heal. I feel like there's a, a precious few number of people that could arrive at this place, at, arrive at a place where they want to start figuring these things out without being broken first. Mm -hmm. I feel like if, 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 if life is hunky-dory, if you're like you know someone that lives in a bubble and you're always protected because you're beautiful or you're rich or you're whatever, like sometimes life doesn't really come at you like right. it does when you're not beautiful and rich or whatever, right? Right. I mean, and so like I feel like I, I wouldn't know this. I wouldn't be in a, in a, on a path of self-discovery had I not been broken. Mm -hmm. Had I not, you know, had I not been at the end of my rope or at the bottom of my well or at the, you know what I mean? Whatever analogy you want to use. And so I feel like when you talk about, you know, healing, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like you don't, you don't heal if you're well, mm -hmm. you heal when you're unwell, when you're broken. Correct. And it takes an acknowledgement of that. I think we experience that in our physical well-being all the time, right? We can ignore some things in our health that, you know, they're in aggravation or inconvenience. But if we let those things continue, it becomes debilitating. And the same thing is true in our emotions. At some point, there's a breaking point, like you said, that we get to a point where we acknowledge and confess, right? It's all right there in the Bible. Like, confession will free us when we just say, here's what I have, and here's where I'm at, and I don't have the answers, and I need some help. That's the beginning of a whole new life. Uh, but 
often when we live in a fence, it's our efforts to keep up these boundaries and defend ourselves and to do it all on our own. And it's exhausting. What you will really have is a chronic fatigue of your emotions, mm-hmm. but also it'll start affecting you physically. Uh, it'll start affecting you mentally, right? So now you believe that everything is going to harm you or uh, is a threat to you. And it will drain down every single reserve that you have, making it more difficult to process mentally, to uh, have relationships to develop emotionally. It just drains your stores. And so unfortunately, most of us wait to that point. I don't know many people, although there are some who have gone down this journey without first getting to a breaking point, a, a massive whatever that is for you event that made you go, I can't continue like this any further. Uh, the reason so many people live in offense is it feels good, right? When you can build up your anger, you have this determination to do something about it, right? right a righteous it's indignation. A righteous indignation. And sometimes that's set on great morals. Uh, sometimes it's set on great morals misdirected. <laughs> sometimes it's based on things that we don't know, but we are too afraid to enter into and understand better to know. And so all of that keeps us going. Anger can take you a long, long way, but you have to remember that there's this real thing called adrenal fatigue, that when you live in a heightened state for an extended period of time, you will drain those stores. It's just a fact. Um, The matter of how long that takes depends on every one of us and our genes and our environments and other factors that might be helping us to stay that way longer. But at some point, that does happen. What I don't want to happen is to get to the end of my life because my DNA was so great that it allowed me to live in this state for so long that I get to that point when I'm 70 or 80 years old and realize I didn't need to live in that state. I didn't need to push and hold people away. I could have formed more relationships rather than breaking bridges Mm. because I didn't realize that this was not great for me, right? So I always say to those who have tough times early on in life, you are blessed and loved by God because you have been allowed to be catapulted to this awareness of I don't need to be in this state. I don't have to live in this constant friction that there's a better way. And that's what Jesus came to the earth to show us. There is a better way than to live in this tension and and unhappiness and hurt and inflicting pain on others in defense of or in hopes of not having pain inflicted on us. And that's what we end up resorting to because what happens if you can't make your point accepted, if you can't get your point across in a way that someone else receives it, then you have to start heightening, right, that conflict. You have to start heightening that offense. And, you know, unfortunately, Unfortunately, as humans, we're just limited, right? There's only so many things we can do. And so we tend to resort to the very things that we despise. In trying to defend ourselves and trying to set the world straight, we make a lot of mistakes. Thankfully, Jesus came to show us a different way and to model that for us. So not just like tell us about it, he modeled it for us to tell us that it's possible. And he invites us to do the same. The question is, are we going to respond to that invitation? Yeah, I love that you brought that up. Because as you were speaking, I thought about like, you talked about like, I don't want to get to the end of my life. I don't want to be 70 or 80 or 90. Come on, Becky, you're gonna be like 90 or 100. You're (laughs) such a stubborn girl. Anyway, but like, I often think of like, it made me think right away of not necessarily specific people that I've known, but like, 
I just seem to know of a lot of like people that are old, right? And they, and they were they they were prickly and bitter mm-hmm. their whole lives. Mm-hmm. They never had friends. They never were kind to their kids. They were never, you know. And that makes me wonder if that doesn't get modeled for us. Like if that's not cyclical, where we well, mm-hmm. this is what my mom did, and so I'm going to be that way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be all angry and you know bitter and prickly and. You know what I mean? Because that's how I was raised, and so like right. you just and now it's just now it's a generational thing. Yes, and like, gosh darn it! Like I just, like those are the people like I want to like. Oh my gosh, it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah, you, I just want to pick that apart. So, if you think about all the different facets and layers to that, so first we have parents who we were trying to. Uh, gain their approval growing up, right? We wanted their attention. And so if that's the way mom and dad did it, then I'm going to, I feel that I need to do the same. And maybe you felt the the same way too. I would uh, go home and my, my parents are very strict and uh, their parents are very strict. And I understand that now. Um, But I remember going back home with my kids and being a little tougher on my kids while I was there. Uh, I grew up in the era of uh, plastic on couches and, you know, kids are should be seen and not heard and you're quiet at the dinner table because the adults are talking, right? And there are a lot of people who have similar experiences. And so when they go home, they still enter into, have you ever had that experience? You go mm. home and you're 10 again, yeah. right? Yep. And you know nothing, even though you're a professional and successful and have a family of your own and people who look up to you, and yet you go home and you're just that kid again. Mm. And it's because we enter into this place where, okay, I was always trying to make mom and dad proud of me. And so I'm going to repeat the things that they did because I know that would make them proud. Right. Even when they're not the same values or the, the way we would want to interact with our kids. And so I had to process that because I realized I was just relaxed and uh, comfortable and loving and generous at home. And then I got like militant when I was around family because I was perceiving their expectations mm. of me, but also what they thought of me in that t- small time frame that I was home. Do they perceive me as these things? It was still important to me. What I had to reconcile was who I am today with what I believe is successful and a good person and a responsible person and w- someone to be proud of. The second uh, piece of that was, oh gosh, now I'm gonna like pause here. There were like so many like <laughs> layers when you were talking. Um, uh, oh, I can't think of it now. So you have a strict parent, you have a parent. Um, oh, no, I'm not going to think of it. I'll think of it as we're talking. Sure. But at the root of this is identity, right? So what is my identity in? As we're growing up, our identity is in our parents, naturally. Now, if you've grown up successfully, when you leave home, your identity is in yourself, right? And you're not reliant on your parents anymore to form that Uh That happens, not always successfully. A lot of times we leave home and we haven't fully formed who we are. And so now we're looking to a new source of authority to determine how we should be, how we should be acting, what that looks like, what success looks like. Um, And there's another quote that says, people who know who they are uh, know easiest who they are not. Right. So when you think of offense and you think of someone saying something to you, well, you do this all the time and that's not right. And you get defensive about it. Why do you feel the need to be defensive? Is it because you believe a little bit about what that person just accused you of? So you have to rationalize through it and analyze it and and verbalize why you're not. Or can you 
in yourself go, yeah, that's not true, and have no response to it at all. And so when we're not clear about our identities, which is true when you look at you know, your parents, uh, when you're with your parents, you still identify with them a bit. Uh, you want to be proud of the legacy that they carried, um, and you want to carry that on. Uh, we replicate what we see, and when we want to identify with something, we'll carry that with us, even if that doesn't quite mesh with who we are today. Yeah. And so we always have to be considering that. The hardest pieces to work out are those with people we have deep relationship with. And so you may be 20 years into a marriage, and maybe you and your spouse have operated in a certain way, but now you've changed. You've had a change of heart. You've had that breaking moment where you realize this isn't the way it should be, and I want a different way. I want to follow the way that Jesus showed me. And Jesus had every reason to take offense, right? He he was... He had every reason. Um, but instead of lashing out, he leaned into people. You know, can we do that instead? Instead of turning his back, he turned toward people. And man, I don't think that that was easy for him. <laughs> I think there were plenty of times that he wanted to be like, people, I came to save you, like, peace out, right? right. Yeah. I don't need to do this. And the same is true for us. But he chose not to. And that's the key. We always choose to be offended. Now, that might not be a cognitive, conscious thing you're doing, but at some point in there, and we talked about this in the past, we need to slow our roll a little bit. We need to slow down time and not let that be a reaction, but a response. And in that moment, you always have a choice to be offended or not be offended. And that depends on, is, is my thinking rigid? Do I have right thinking? Or are there some things I need to work through? Um, do I know my identity? And am I confident in that? Is my identity in, in God? Um, what if we remain so close to Christ that it was impossible to offend us because he was impossible to offend? Mm. Not because um, he didn't have an opportunity to be offended, but because he chose not to. And then what are our boundaries like, right? And so, we talk about boundaries of protecting ourselves, but also sometimes we have to set boundaries on how we're going to engage with the world. And can you keep those boundaries even when you're challenged? And I love Proverbs 25, 28 that says, like a city whose walls are broken is a person who lacks self-control. He has no rule over his own spirit um, and he's broken down without walls. And I don't want to be perceived like that. I don't want to be perceived as this out-of-control city that you don't know what's going to come out of it, right? So no one is comfortable having a conversation with you. Can we have conversations again where we're actually listening to each other? Yeah. And I think that's the piece that's missing. We need to listen not only to each other, but we need to listen to ourselves. We need to listen to the dialogue in our head and our hearts that's going on as people are talking to us. And most of us have this uh, experience in where someone is speaking to us, especially think about on social media. Someone posts something on social media. And um, in the process of you reading that and you responding, you've had this whole conversation in your own head. Oh, yeah. And your brain is telling you all kinds of things. It is telling you all the things you're afraid of, that you're uncertain about, um, that you're fearful of, that you uh, are angry about still. And it doesn't have anything to do with what that person said. It has to do with the experiences that you hold inside of yourself that you haven't worked through yet. So your offense isn't necessarily with the person who maybe said Said something, they may have triggered that memory. Your offense is with all the things that you haven't dealt with. That yet. You haven't dealt with. And I love that because I feel like I was, as you were talking just now, I think we should both have notebooks next to us because 
I keep thinking of great things while you're talking and then I forget them by yes, the time it's my, we my should. Time to jump. <laughs> anyway, but like it, it occurred to me, and this is going to sound a little bit harsh. I feel like not dealing with the fact that you're either always being offended or always looking to a fight <clears throat> uh, means that you're lazy mm. or that you're, you don't care or um, that you're socially ignorant. Mm. No, I know I said, these are all mm. really harsh words, but like, yeah. why wouldn't you Someone's get off Someone's taking that? offense right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they are. But like, I, I'm, but I, but I'm, I'm saying those words from a place where I've been, mm. right? And continue to sometimes be mm-hmm. where my not wanting to deal with that is just being lazy. Mm. If I'm just like, I'm, it's easier for me just again to react and be offended. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get down to why I'm being offended or what triggers or mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I just know that you're a fat blah, 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 right? Or you're a greasy blah, 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 blah right? Yeah. Like that's what we do. Like we, we grab, we're lazy about it. We grab the easiest things to lash out at. We just mm-hmm. want to lash out. And we, I don't know anything about you, but, I, but what I see, and I see that you're this color, or I see that you're this shape, mm-hmm. or I see that you're this wealthy or not wealthy. And so then mm-hmm. I'm, now I'm just going to pick that stuff up to throw back insults in my fight or flight, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like that's lazy. And as, you know, if you're listening to this, you know who Becky is, or you know who I am, or you know, so assuming then you know who Jesus is. And if Jesus is any part of your life, there's no room for that kind of laziness mm. or that kind of recklessness mm. in our spirits. And you've got to like, you have to start thinking that through. I, I think of two things. So I'm going to counter your statement in that maybe that's the term that motivates you. I can't be lazy about this anymore, right? And maybe that is a confession and acknowledgement that you have to make, that I would much prefer to turn on Netflix, um, watch social media, get on YouTube, than to actually do this hard work. And I acknowledge that. It is hard work. I spent many years not wanting to do it uh, and then had my breaking point. But there was, there's two things that I think of there. One is um, you're ill-equipped. Right. So you weren't provided the tools or resources or you haven't picked up the tools or resources. Or for me, it was uh, I need to know step one, two and three, because I'm an intelligent person. and I'm capable and I'm successful. But for whatever reason, there's this development piece that didn't occur for me that I didn't know what step one, two and three was. Step one is to do this when I'm feeling this way, I can and actually have something tangible that I could do so that I could get to the point where I was assessing and choosing and slowing down. The second thing was love. Can I love myself? I obviously don't love myself if I can't invest in myself. Mm. And maybe that's hard for you to swallow. I'm, I'm just feeling someone right now going, no, I love myself. But do you? Are you caring for yourself? Are you having compassion for yourself? Are you daring to do the hard things for yourself to heal and to feel better and to do better and to have better in your life? Um, because right now, if you're having conflict day after day, you're running down the resources you do have right? The energy. So laziness, if you're chronically fatigued because you've been in a bite for the last 30 years with everything every day, you have worn down stores that you were God-given to survive in this world unnecessarily, right? You, you've used too much energy on things that are robbing you of mm. life. And can you, can you work on loving yourself enough yeah. to do what's necessary? So, and I love that um, because as a person, right, that 
that always dismiss the first half of love or the second half of love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. I wonder if there's not a lot of people who are like me in that they didn't have a scale, their own scale to measure the love for themselves. And mm-hmm. so they were re- relying on what other people were reflecting. Mm-hmm. Show me how, how lovable I am or how worthy I am or how, you know, valuable I am. Right. And if, if you were in a setting or a situation where you didn't get that, right, where you didn't get a reading, you didn't get a, you know, a measurement, right. there's no yardstick. You didn't know that you could measure that for yourself. Yep. Nope. So I must not be worth anything. If yeah. no one's telling me what I'm worth or what my value is or then how much I'm nothing. loved, I must be nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes back to that parent analogy, right? So if my if in my growing up, by the time I left my parents' house, I didn't come to an understanding or lean on something outside of my parents, now I'm looking for a new authority to give me that direction. And we have so many opportunities for that. So you go through school, you have your teachers and your counselors, which is why they have such a big impact on you. You looked at them as a source of authority who told you whether or not you were doing well in school, if you were behaving properly, if you're a good girl or a bad boy, right? So all of these things that we relied on them. We grow up and then we go to college. And the same thing is happening there. We have our peers, we have our our professors, we have our counselors, same exact thing. Then what do we do? We go out into the work world and we go for interviews and we allow people to tell us whether or not we're good enough for this position and if we're performing well or not. And then you have the performance analysis every three months (laughs) to tell you if you're good enough or not. And just depending on how healthy those individuals were and what they said to you. And even if they were the healthiest, if you had some perception of yourself that you were just looking for a sign that I must not be valuable again here, so I need to try harder, you're going to find them. What we look for is what we find, right? And so even if it wasn't intended that way, we can receive it in that way. And again, if we're we have a dialogue in our head that already tells us these things. We're not even hearing the person who's given us that performance review, which is why they also give it to you in paper to make sure you've heard what they said. But if you perceived it a certain way already, you're just reading it the same way. So you can see how layer upon layer this goes on through life. What's wonderful about having a faith in a God who loves us unconditionally and tells us that we are worthy in our His is that if I can get my kids to focus on that and know this is their moral compass, that this is their truth, that this is who they can rely on, even if I'm gone, even if I mess up, even if the world around them is in chaos, that there is this one place that they can look to to gauge, am I loved? Am I worthy? Am I good? And he says we're always good, right? So then it falls back on us. If we can receive that, if we can choose to take that from God instead of choosing or looking for a fence to take, right? Because think about that. I am reaching out and grabbing something and picking it up and carrying it with me. Stop picking up a fence. Put it down. Like, put it down. Let it go, right? And I know the let it go, like, I immediately think of the Frozen song, but... I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you're actually putting it in your hands and carrying it with you and putting it in your imaginary backpack, choose better things. Choose something that's going to fortify you and give you your identity and give you thinking and give you love and give you grace and give you mercy and help you set boundaries that you choose for how you're going to engage into the world and remember who you are and then 
And then dip into that grace that God gives us that you can give others who are going through the exact same thing as you are. And that's where we get to that compassion piece and that I can take offense right now, but instead what I'm going to choose to see is how God sees you. And if you're having a hard time right now and you're offended, my taking up offense isn't going to help the situation. But what I can do is have compassion because I can know that I have been there and I see you struggling with that. And I'm not going to amplify that by arguing with you and getting into a heated debate or, or argument. I'm going to say, I know who I am and I don't need to defend that. And I'm going to keep my peace, but I'm going to have grace and compassion toward you because I I don't want you in that position. God doesn't want you in that position or in that state any more than he wants me. Regardless of what we think our sin level is, and that's a whole other conversation. You know, my sin is lesser or greater than your sin is sin, and mistakes are mistakes, and we just make different ones. Everyone deserves to have a bit of space and grace so that we can restore dignity for one another um, so that we have the opportunity to understand who we are. And so we don't need to pick up things that don't belong to us. Right. I love that. It was 20 years or so ago. um, I was working at uh, a different church and uh, one of the deacons, a guy, I mean, he was a really nice guy. I liked him a lot. He like out of the blue said, Hey, I have a book for you. And he gave me John Bevere's book, The Bait of Satan. Mm. And I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> and then I found it's out what an the, interesting title. <laughs> right. So I found out what the book was about. The book is about this, right? Mm. This, uh, you know, it's trying to help you through this, you know, idea of always being offended. And then guess what? I was offended that he gave me the book. <laughs> right. So he saw something in me that I'd never seen in myself, and that book sat around forever, mm-hmm. years, decades, mm-hmm. right? And then reading that book, I realized that there were parts of me. <clears throat> My problem with offense was that I thought that everyone that was doing something, the things that were happening to me weren't always happening at me. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. like you know, you doing something of your own, on mm-hmm. your own volition, mm-hmm. pursuing your own thing. Mm-hmm. If I find offense in that, and you, you're like, dude, you're not even on my radar, mm-hmm. bro. Like, what are you, what mm-hmm. are you mad? Like, but I, I, I thought the whole world, I guess, so was revolving good. around me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, like, everything that's happening, oh, well, that, that happened? Oh, they must think this about me. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll think of you, yeah. right? And, like, hey, the whole world's not happening yeah. at you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It doesn't have anything to do with you. <laughs> it's not about you. Um, oh gosh, there's like, I I think in terms of movies. So I, there's a movie line I'm thinking of right now. Uh, not important. What is important is this though. Uh, there is what's called uh, Erickson's uh, stages of development, mm. and one of the stages is uh, an infant who thinks the world revolves around them, right? And I think it's beyond infancy. I can't remember all the stages quite right now. I should probably have my Journey Wholeness book with me. Uh, I think that goes into when you're a toddler, right? How a toddler assumes that everything has to do with them, which is why we think it's funny when we do something uh, that has nothing to do with them and they, they respond to it. Either they'll cry with the big lip or they'll laugh hysterically. And for whatever reason in some areas of our life, and again, it goes back to that primitive like survival mode, we can hear, see something. And when our senses are heightened to that, uh, we go, that must have to to do with me and let me defend myself immediately. And it doesn't usually. 
if you think about yourself and all the things that are going on inside of your head and your emotions and in your schedules, uh, you don't really notice the world around you too much. You're too busy, running too fast, too hard, caught up in your own thoughts and your own feelings to really notice a lot of other people. That's true of other people as well then. So when we think that they're doing something directed toward us or, or they meant to or it was a passive aggressive move, usually it's not. Not always. There's the sometimes. And we'll use the sometimes to validate the fact that we're using this all the time. Right, so if it's sometimes true, then it's all the time. <laughs> then true. it must have all the time. Or it's possible that it could be true. Yeah, and so now I worse. have to defend and yeah. do something about it. Again, a desire or need to control our environment. Um, but Dallas Willard says something really cool. He says, whenever we become angry is when we believe our kingdom has been invaded or trespassed upon. And we have to uh, develop Mentally, we have to grow. And that first quote I gave you, it's an opportunity for us to grow when someone doesn't agree with us. And it's not that they just don't agree with us. It's how did we respond to them not agreeing with us. If we got emotional and heated and worked up and twisted up inside, and you know all those physical feelings that come with offense, then we have to actually go, how can I grow here? Or I need to heal something here and grow because this shouldn't have changed my world the way it just did. When that person isn't someone who is invested in me, a part of my world, right. someone that I am in relationship with or that want to, want to grow a relationship with. And so when we allow strangers to dictate our emotions and our world and whether or not we're happy or sad today, no one can do that to you. You have to understand that no one has that control over you. You choose these things in your life every single day. Stop giving other people reign over your life that belongs to you. You are the authority over your life and how you live it and how you interact and then the state internally of how you feel each day and what you believe. And when we get to that point in our lives, it's easier now to grant that same grace and that same extension and consideration for others as well. Yeah, it reminds me of a saying, I don't know who it's by, but it's like, don't don't accept or take criticism from someone you wouldn't seek advice from. Yeah. Like, stop giving people authority. Right. That you wouldn't, like, you don't otherwise care for. Right. But then I, I just want to touch base real quick on the opposite end of that. Mm -hmm. Because it, being offended and looking for a fight and all these other things yeah. are things you, you definitely have to work on for yourself, for yourself. But then I also feel like it's something you really have to work on for the people that you are in an interpersonal relationship with. Mm -hmm. Because... In, in those situations, so those are people that have emotional authority in your life. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you can't start, you got to stop assuming the worst intention of the people around you. Right. And so, and if you're not that, if you're not at a place where you feel like you're just constantly being hurt by that person, you got to, you got to have that out. Right. You can't just keep, you know, living in a bunker, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, hoping that it goes away or right. waiting for the, you know, fallout to dissipate, right? right. Like, you got to address that and then you got to, like, Say we're gonna we're gonna shake the etch a sketch on this. Yes, and, <laughs> I shook the whole room, uh, and we're starting from scratch on this. Yeah, and I'm gonna assume the best of you. I'm gonna mm -hmm. assume the best intentions because up to me shaking the etch a sketch, I was assuming the worst of you. Yeah. Anytime you did something, I thought I would think I would pull it through the filter of this is what I th 
what this is the worst thing that that could mean. And so I'm just going to assume that that's true. Mm -hmm. And whether you've got cause or not, if it's someone that you need to stay in a relationship with, if you're committed to them Mm -hmm. or you love them or you're whatever, then you got to have that out. You got to shake the etch a sketch and start assuming the best. Yeah. And here's where if, if you're both in such a state that it's difficult to start that conversation, then invite someone else into it. Uh, someone that you trust, you know, a pastor, a mentor, a friend, a counselor, uh, they're actually trained in doing that. Um, a journey to wholeness facilitator, journey to wholeness group. Where is it that you can go so that you can start that conversation? Because it, it is difficult. Uh, there's so much... Uh, there's so much riding on that kind of conversation, right? We're afraid to have that conversation. But you have to ask the question, what am I afraid? What's the worst thing that could happen? Right. Um, this is us. They ask right. that question, right? What's worst case worst scenario? Case scenario. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes we have to face those things. We can't pretend like those things don't exist in our world. It's a possibility, yes. What's the percentage? I'm an accountant, so I think in percentiles, <laughs> what's the percentage uh, that you know, plus probability that that's right, going to happen. Right, right. And could something else happen? What I most often find is that we're pleasantly surprised by how that went. Ever think of a confrontation you have to make or a discussion you have to have um, to address things because we want to be peacemakers, not just keep uh, peacekeepers. We want to be peacemakers right, right, in our right. life. And so... Have, have you entered in a conversation and you walk on you, well, that went way better than I thought it was going to. Uh, we don't always want to assume the worst case scenario, but when it's keeping us from confronting what's right there and we need to address it because we deserve to address it, right, for both individuals involved, then can I allow myself to go there so that there's nothing that's going to deter me? I, I'm facing that. That's a possibility. Is it small? Is it big? I don't know what your percentage is. I won't speak for you. But then can we have that conversation? And so often we allow the fear or the uncertainty of what might happen to keep us from addressing it, which just leaves us in this space where nothing gets better. When we can actually vocalize, and here's where we can avoid getting into a a debate on offense, is say, here is how I feel. Here is what I have believed. And allow that person to give you the other side of that. That was not my intention. Like, yeah, you did make me mad, and I did sling some mud at you, and I felt justified because of this. Just knowing that alone, we can relate, right? Because I've been in the same place. I've slung some mud. I felt justified in that moment. Was it right? No. Am I ready to apologize? Not yet. (laughs) But we can start talking about it. And as we have this dialogue we can start to put ourselves in the other person's shoes and go, oh, I see where you were coming from in that. Did it make it right? Did it make it okay? But I see how you could have done that. And then can we continue that dialogue until the point where we can go, man, I'm sorry. How can we do better now? Yeah. I was, um, uh, we were, I was making a, I was doing it, I was driving around with my son, Abe. And uh, we were driving over the De Beer Bridge, which is the Claude Alloway Memorial Bridge. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I knew that. <laughs> so um, I, I, I pointed his attention over to the, the you know, the, that walkway that goes in, uh, you know, over the dam or the darn because we're Jesus people. <laughs> um, and I said, remember that time that, you know, you, I, and Ray went out there and I, I, we locked some locks on there and I had inscribed on these locks, you know, how much I loved you and we threw the keys mm-hmm. into the thing. And I'm reminded of that as we talk about this, because sometimes I feel like we take these offenses that we have in our interpersonal relationship, and rather than deal with them, right, we open mm-hmm. up our lockbox, 
right? We put them in there. Yeah. We close the lockbox, lock it up, put the lockbox back underneath our bed right. or in the bottom of our drawer, in the bottom yeah. of our closets, right? And we think that, okay, well, you know, here, look at me all grown up because I'm not la la la. Hey, you didn't though. Because <laughs> right. like, now it's still there. Right. That lockbox is still so at any time you've got the key. You didn't throw the key away into the river so it would float away. Mm-hmm. It, you've got the key. Mm-hmm. You've got the lockbox. So at any time you can go in and open it and visit it and smell it, right? And feel it. Yep. And like, that's not healthy. No. And so like, if you're offended and you're just putting those offenses like in a lockbox, mm-hmm. that's not dealing with it. Yeah. I love that analogy. Like you literally go back, open up the box every time you feel slighted, every time you feel vulnerable and you... You go, like how you said that, you smell it, you lick it. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you honestly pull it out and go through that memory. It's like when you're trying to clean your house and you're supposed to be cleaning, but you start looking through photos right, and things right. from the past, right? Things that you probably shouldn't even be keeping that are a burden to you and you're complaining because you're having to go through them again and you have so much junk and stuff, right? And the same is true with those offenses. Oh, I have so many offenses and you're complaining about it, but you're holding on to them, yes. storing them, creating memorials to them in right. some cases. So some of us aren't even locking them away in a box. We're setting them on the mantle and going, see, and that was the day that this happened. And right. see, that's the day this happened. And that's why my life will always be this way. Right. The end, sit down. And yeah. what can anyone say to that, right? right. Because at in the end, you're still choosing to do that. Right. No one can make that choice for you. In fact, if someone tried to make that choice for you and cleaned off the mantle and stole your box, you would be irate <laughs> and yeah. you would come and grab that back. We do that often when we come to church and we go and pray and we say, I'm angry or I'm upset or I'm offended about these things. And then someone prays for you and you go, yeah, that feels good. That's awesome. And you go listen to the sermon and you listen to a song and then you pick up your box on your way out the door Yes, <laughs> and you start all over again. I'll take that with me. I'll take that with me. And yeah. it's we have to really stop doing that. Uh, it's not helping us. And here's why we do it. We think if I forget right? So uh, forgive, people say, but don't forget. If I forget, then I'm vulnerable. I am susceptible to this happening again. But if you don't, if you don't forget, you carry it with you and you're looking for more to store in your box. Which one do you want to do? Do you want to keep picking up stones and putting them in your box and carrying more than you need to so that you can't actually engage and carry things that are going to bring you joy and peace and fulfillment? Or do you want to keep carrying these because you're never going to heal and trust that the world can be good? Yes, are there are horrible things that happen in the world. Absolutely. From week to week, we see terrible things. But can we start to live in love in a way that we believe and hope for better? And we start doing that by engaging with one another and by avoiding and choosing not to get into offense. I'm not saying not to speak about things. I'm not saying not to acknowledge things. But I'm saying, can we not take offense? Can we talk about how can we make this better rather than how bad it is or how bad you've been? Right, because there's a healthy way to deal with these offenses, like in a healthy conversation with an expert or with someone that's, you know, like you said, a third party, whatever. What's not healthy is when you take those when you take those things out of your lockbox and you treat them like trophies, mm-hmm. like you said, you put them on your mantle and now, cause you said, and you say, and then this happened and then this happened. Well, who are you saying that to? Mm-hmm. Cause what you're trying to do is you're trying to recruit people to your side. Mm-hmm. So, cause mm-hmm. you want people to say, Oh dang, honey, you didn't, yeah. he don't, he, that's what yeah. we want. Like when yes. someone that validates 
Mm-hmm. Our offense, if I can get someone else to buy in. Mm-hmm. If I can get someone to be a fan of my offense, well, oh, see, I got a, mm-hmm. I got a, I got a famous offense. Yeah. And we don't do that because we want to like one up and like, yeah, I'm the man. I'm like, I'm good at this. No, we find comfort yes. with those who agree with us and growth amongst those who don't. Growth is difficult, especially when you've been living in this other space and accumulating these things, yeah. right? If I could get every middle schooler, high schooler, and walk them through journey to wholeness so they can avoid gathering the baggage that then they have to work through stone by stone out of their backpacks so that they can get to that place. Oh, heaven help us. Let's do that. Because I want to save my children from all the things I had to undo in my life just because I didn't know. Again, I wasn't equipped I didn't know there were practical tools. I just literally did not know. Should I have known? We're not going to have that conversation. Did you have opportunity? Don't have that conversation. For whatever reason, that connection did not happen. There are scientific reasons, if you want to know them, to help you to process that. Or you just didn't have opportunity because in your home, that's not how it was done. Things weren't discussed. Uh, your your school environment, your your uh the neighborhood you lived in, that's not how you dealt with things. I grew up in a neighborhood like that. You didn't talk about anything, right? right, right. You you dealt with it out on the neighborhood on, on the sidewalk. So, and then the second thing is love. Can I love myself? And if you're having trouble loving yourself, truly loving yourself, and that you're willing to do the hard work so that you can grow, then I encourage you to turn to Jesus and let him dictate who you are and what love is so that you can gather those two pieces and we can make our world a better place one person at a time. I know he's the only reason that I'm complete, mm-hmm. right? Because I didn't have all the pieces for me to complete myself, no. much less the glue to hold it all together. The coolest part is as you start your journey, when you don't, he covers you, right? He makes you whole. He, he like completes you. Like it's yeah. not, you know, Jerry Maguire. It's right. like he completes you as you're growing. He promises to extend his hand and reach in and fill the gaps as we're doing the work until we get to the place where we go, oh, wow. Yeah. In my opinion, for me, I, I'm like the, the one half of the circle and he's the other half of the circle, yeah. right? Because yep. if I can fulfill my half, he promises to finish the work. And the closer I come to filling that half, I can rest and lean back into him and know that I am covered and surrounded in a circle of wholeness that only he can provide. Yeah, totally dig that. This was good today, Becky. You did so great. Good. Oh, thanks. So did you. <laughs> Hey, thanks for joining us. If uh, you enjoyed this episode, uh, please share it with your friends. Uh, You can find um, the whole podcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms, uh, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. Um, uh, And you can also find us at journeytowholeness.org. That's J, the letter J, the number two, and wholeness.org for lots more resources on this and other topics. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.